The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. It's really good to see everyone here this morning. A lot of new faces. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Tobias. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Christ the King. And uh, this morning we're going to be continuing <clears throat> uh, with our uh, series on stewardship. And, um, you know, as, as, I, as I was thinking about this idea of stewarding our relationships, stewarding our relationships, uh, it occurred to me that this might be a bit of a... Uh, kind of an ex obscure idea for us. After all, as Penn mentioned last week, uh, when the idea of stewardship comes up, uh, at least in the church, we tend to think of it in relation to money, and specifically tithing. Uh, but as we've already seen, uh, the reality is, is that stewardship, from a biblical perspective, is much, much broader than that. And at its heart is, is simply the idea that we as God's creatures lack both ultimate ownership and authority over the things we possess and the, and the things God calls us to pursue. Instead, we're simply God's stewards of these things. And in this way, stewardship applies to everything in our lives. It applies to our personal gifts, as Penny mentioned last week. Uh, it applies to our time and our money, as we'll discuss in the coming weeks. And it also applies to our relationships. And that's because our relationships, like everything else, these have been given to us. They've been, they've been entrusted to us by a gracious Lord. In fact, one of the first things we read about in the Bible is that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And so what did God do? Well, he created Eve. He gave him a suitable companion. And of course, there are lots of different things that we could talk about in relation to that event. But one of the most obvious things to me this morning is that the Lord gifted Adam and Eve with relationship. And in doing so, he laid on them a responsibility to steward their relationship along with all the other relationships they'd subsequently experience in light of his lordship and his purposes. And friends, the same is true for you and me today. So, so what does it mean for us to steward our relationships? How might our relationships with one another look different from the world's relationships if we were to recognize that they're actually a gift that we hold them in trust, and that we're to steward them as those under authority and for the purposes of the Lord. Well, the Apostle Peter had quite a bit to say about this, uh, and it comes up in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. So I'd like us to look at that and to read that together this morning as we begin. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O gracious and mighty God, we bow before you, creator of heaven and earth, of all things seen and unseen, you who know the end from the beginning, we bow before you. We praise you. We bow before you and thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you will, by your spirit, enlighten our minds, soften our hearts, open our ears, that we may hear and receive what you have us to hear and receive this morning. Oh, Father, as we do so, we pray that you will shape our relationships, that they might be pleasing and glorifying to you, and that we may be counted faithful stewards of the gift of relationships that you have given us. And may the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I imagine uh, that many of you already, as we read that passage, um, noticed how often Peter repeats the phrase, one another, two or four one another, and that he actually explicitly calls us to act as good stewards in our service to one another. And one of the main reasons he does this is because at this point in his letter, he's trying to shape how we respond to God's call to steward our relationships and to live in community as the people of God. And what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is that in this passage, Peter gives us four basic characteristics of what this means for us. And in particular, he calls us to be gospel-oriented. He calls us to love one another. He calls us to be hospitable to one another. And he calls us to serve one another. And so let's take a look at each of these in turn as they come up in the passage. And as we begin, I want you to notice what Peter says right at the beginning of verse 7. He says this. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Why on earth does he start this way? I mean, it's, it's a sort of odd way to start, isn't it? The end of all things is at hand. And what does this have to do with stewarding our relationships? Well, I think to answer these questions, we need to appreciate how the coming of Christ had shaped Peter's perspective on reality. You see, Peter was convinced that the coming of Christ in the fullness of time signaled a climactic event in world history. And that as a result of Jesus' coming, both he and his readers, and in fact all of humanity, 
We're now living in the final act, so to speak, of God's redemptive plan and purposes for creation. An act that had been ushered in through the life, ministry, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And that would culminate in the Lord's return, bringing judgment on the wicked and vindication for the righteous. And in fact, we see Peter's awareness that we're now living in these end times, right from the beginning of the letter. Notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 20. He describes Jesus as the one who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. And I love that Peter ends this verse with the phrase, for the sake of you. You see, Peter wasn't really interested in, in Jesus' coming as a, a sort of interesting but impersonal historical factoid. Not at all. Instead, he understood that the manifestation of Jesus in the last days was a life-transforming, perspective-shaping event in the life of the believer. Life-transforming because he understood that with the coming of Jesus, believers are those who now have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as he says in 1 Peter 1.3. And perspective-shaping because he understood that with the coming of Jesus, believers are those who now live this life and in this world as exiles and sojourners, as those whom God has called to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation, as he says in chapter 2. And so it's out of this awareness of the climactic and transformative reality of Christ's coming that we hear Peter beginning this section saying, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And what he's doing here is he's calling his readers and he's calling you and me to adopt a heavenly perspective on reality. In other words, he's calling us to be a community that is alert and clear-headed. That's the idea behind those words, self-controlled and sober-minded. To be alert and clear-headed about the reality of the times. A community that's shaped first and foremost by the power of the cross and the hope that it alone provides. And you know, Peter was convinced that when we do this, our lives together, our interaction with one another will look very, very different from the world's. In fact, notice how he describes the community of unbelievers in his own day. In chapter 4, verse 3. They've no awareness of or submission to God's redemptive act in the giving of his son. And so they do what they want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. But of course, Peter understood that such a lifestyle, one rooted in the temporary and fallen desires of this world, a lifestyle lived in the absence of any submission to the authority and purposes of God, he understood that such a lifestyle stands in stark contrast to the way God calls his own people to live with one another in light of the gospel. And so, friends, what I think we're confronted with in this opening verse is really simply Peter's eagerness 
his eagerness for us to live as a gospel-oriented people. And as we consider this morning what it means for us to steward our relationships, we need to recognize that if we're to be faithful in this calling, we have to start by cultivating this perspective in our interaction with one another. And But before we move on, I don't want us to miss how Peter emphasizes the importance of prayer in all of this. And I actually think the NIV translation captures the sense of Peter's exhortation here a bit better. And I think it's helpful for us to hear. Listen to what it says. It says, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. You see, Peter understood that when we're alert and clear-headed about the time in which we live, and when we live as a gospel-oriented community, as a result of that awareness, friends, we will be a praying community. One commentator put it this way, Peter's first concern is prayer. The knowledge of God's final stage of redemption, rightly apprehended, should motivate a prayerful engagement with others. Prayer that calls upon and submits to God in the light of reality seen from God's perspective and thus obtains power and guidance in the situation, however evil the times may be. The first resource for living out Christ's victory in the Christian community is the believer's prayer life. Let that sink in. Well, as we move on, the second characteristic of what it means for us to faithfully steward our relationships is mentioned in verse 8. Notice what Peter says there. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And you know, it's striking to me that here Peter begins by saying, above all. But it actually makes sense. After all, Jesus had highlighted the centrality of love in the life of believers when he said in Matthew 22, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the Apostle John had actually made it a litmus test for the genuineness of our faith when he said in 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So what does it mean for us to love one another? What does that actually look like? Well, Peter highlights several things in this verse. And he tells us, for one thing, that love is constant. Notice that he says, keep loving one another. And he also says that love is earnest. And I think the idea here is that our love for one another is both sincere and motivated by a zeal to be faithful to the Lord. And I actually really appreciate the way Eugene Peterson renders this verse in the message when he says, love each other as if your life depended on it. And finally, Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. And here we see Peter alluding to Proverbs 10, 12, which says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And what he's trying to do here is he's trying to drive home the point that love in action is the 
opposite of hate in action. If hate leads to strife and its corollaries, dissension and conflict, love covers all offenses. In other words, for Peter, love is forbearing. Love is forbearing. It refuses to respond to offenses with equal offenses. How difficult is that for us to follow? And when we consider all of the things Peter's saying here about love, when we consider them together, I think the best and most beautiful summary of what he's saying here is given by the Apostle Paul in that familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen again to what he says there. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Brothers and sisters, if we are to be a faithful people, if we are to be faithful in our responsibility to steward our relationships with one another, we must respond to Peter's call here and love one another earnestly. Well, as we turn our attention now to the third characteristic of what it means for us to steward our relationships. I want you to notice what Peter says in verse 9. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And it's worth mentioning something that's not readily apparent in our translation, and it's this. Peter doesn't actually use the verb. He doesn't actually say the command, show he doesn't actually say, show hospitality. Instead, he simply calls us to be something. That's what it actually says. And the Christian Standard Version captures this sense when it renders it this way. It says, be hospitable to one another. And, you know, I think this is actually something significant for us to consider. You see, what I think Peter's getting at here is that hospitality isn't meant to be a mere duty we perform. Instead, it ought to flow from who we are. It should be a deep part of our character that we as Christians naturally exude and one that marks us distinctly as followers of Jesus. After all, I think we probably all recognize how easy it is for us to be dutiful and to simply go through the motions when things are required of us. And Peter doesn't want us to think about hospitality in that way. So what does this look like? What would it really mean for us to be hospitable to one another? 
Well, on the one hand, I think we could, we could get a pretty fair grasp of what hospitality is simply by listening to the New Living Translation's rendering of this verse. It says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. And you know, that's a pretty good start. And yet I think there's a bit more Peter's trying to tell us here. And it's suggested by the fact that he tells us to be hospitable without grumbling. You see, in Peter's day, hospitality wasn't considered a mere nicety. It was seen as something necessary to extend, but really only to friends and family, uh, mostly to those whom you liked. And this was due largely to the fact that there weren't many suitable and safe public inns for people to stay. And, and so living in this environment, it was natural for Christians who were regularly welcoming visiting preachers and other Christians who were looking for a place to worship, it was natural for them to place a similarly high value on hospitality. And yet for Christians, and I think especially, this meant opening up their homes not only to friends and family, but to strangers to those with whom they had no former relationship or life experience, or perhaps even to those whom they had a broken relationship. And on top of this, given that Christian worship would likely have been involved when homes were opened up, after all, we're living in kind of the home church time, showing hospitality, as one commentator has noted, could come at a high personal cost since it could mark the family as a target for anti-Christian persecution. And so, friends, taking all of this together, I, I think that the hospitality Peter's urging us to embrace here is something radically different from the way it's generally perceived in society. It's a call for us to receive one another with genuine open-heartedness. It's a call for us to welcome fellowship with one another cheerfully, even with those whom we aren't that familiar, or perhaps with those whom we disagree or have conflict. And friends, it's a call for us to be open to being agents of God's blessing to those in need, even at personal cost. Friends, Peter's call to hospitality here is a radical radical call. One commentator put it this way, and I love this, the church is to be that alternate society where Christians find a place when shunned by unbelievers who live by different values. In a hostile world, the church is to be a place of safety and well-being for its members, a place where common beliefs unite more than differences divide. The Christian community is a colony of the holy nation of God among the nations of the world. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to be faithful in stewarding our relationships with one another, we must be that place of safety and well-being for one another. We must be a colony of the holy. As we turn our attention to the final characteristic of what it means for us to steward our relationships. I want you to notice especially what Peter says in verse 10. He says this, he says, 
as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And there are a couple of things that stand out to me in what Peter's saying here. And the first and perhaps most obvious thing is that he calls us to serve one another. And you know, we're so used to hearing about service as Christians that I think it's easy for us to sort of glide right past this verse. But friends, we mustn't do that. You see, what Peter's saying here has profound implications for how we interact with one another. As one commentator pointed out, Peter's words here mean that the status assigned to every Christian is lower than the others in the community of believers. So that every single believer is cast as the servant of the rest. Did you catch that? Every single believer is cast as the servant of the rest. That's an astounding perspective to bring to relationships. Don't you think? But I want you to notice, too, that Peter doesn't just simply call us to serve one another. Instead, he calls us to use the gifts each of us has received to serve one another. I want you to think about that for a moment. You see, I think it's easy for us to value certain gifts over others, like gifts of speaking or managing or creating. And when it's not obvious to us that we possess these sought-after gifts, whatever they may be, I think it's just as easy for us to despair and to become envious, thinking that God has gifted some in his family, but he's not gifted us. But here Peter tells us otherwise. He tells us that each of us has been gifted by the Lord. And these gifts come in all shapes and sizes. In fact, this is the point he's trying to make when he talks about speaking gifts and serving gifts in verse 11. His point there isn't to say that these specifically are the only gifts. Not at all. His point is much broader than that. Instead, what he's saying to us there is that our gifts take the form of words and deeds. And you know, that includes each and every one of us. And friends, this ought to be an encouragement for us to be sensitive to the ways, even the less high-profile ways, the Lord has indeed gifted us. And it also should encourage us to be open to receiving and intentionally supporting and even seeking out the giftedness of others so that they can use them in the service, as Paul says, for the common good. Friends, this morning... We've been talking about stewarding our relationships. And as he brings this final, he, he points out this final characteristic. One of the most significant things is that he says we are to serve one another. And the second thing that stands out to me in verse 10 is that Peter tells us that when we use our gifts to serve, we're acting as good stewards of God's varied grace. And one of the most obvious things to me here is that in order for us to be good stewards, 
we must recognize first and foremost that we're recipients of God's grace. We cannot be good stewards unless we recognize we're recipients of his grace. This, this means we're to respond to his call to steward our relationships, to be a gospel-oriented people, to love one another, to be hospitable to one another, and to serve one another. We're, we're to respond to this call, not in our own power, but by the strength that God alone provides, as he says in verse 11. In fact, Peter goes on to say at the end of verse 11, that it's only when we respond in this way, out of an awareness of God's graciousness to us, both in calling us to himself and empowering us to walk in his footsteps, that God will be glorified in our faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, what would it look like for us to steward our relationships with one another in the way Peter commends here? How would our lives be changed what effects would it have on our marriages if we as husbands and wives saw ourselves as servants of our spouses? What effects would it have on our community if our homes and our building were seen as places of generous and open-hearted refuge for all to come, not just the select and the privileged? What effects would it have on our friendships, particularly those strained and difficult relationships? You're probably thinking of them right now. If our love for one another imitated the mercy, the kindness, and the patience that exemplifies our Lord's love for us. And what effects would it have on our community? In all the varied things we, uh, the Lord has called each of us to pursue, if we were a community saturated in the climactic reality and hope of the gospel, and we were living as citizens of a glorious heavenly kingdom rather than, the, than for the pursuits of a fallen world. Brothers and sisters, Peter makes it clear in this passage that the effects would be nothing short of the realization of an otherworldly society and that the Lord whom we serve would be glorified through our faithfulness. Indeed, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, uh, once again we bow before you. Oh, Father, we confess our failure to steward our relationships faithfully. We do confess that we have not loved one another as we ought. We've been stingy. We have adopted the fallen perspective of the world. And we have refused to serve. Oh, Father, we confess these things and ask that by your Spirit, you will shape us more and more into the image of your Son, our Savior, that we might love one another, serve one another, be hospitable to one another, and encourage one another to think about the gospel, to think about what it means for us to live here and now. Oh, Father, shape us into the people you have designed us to be. 
We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.